Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 13th of December 2012. I always get this part over and done with very quickly at the beginning of each broadcast uh, and run and pasture you all the way through. But uh, I advise you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to all the free audios for download. Remember, two of the sites you'll see listed there all have audios for download and transcripts in English for prints up of many of the talks I've given. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests and so on. I don't get sponsorship, so I depend upon the public simply to help me just tick over. That's all it is, just ticking over. Sometimes it's, it's hardly ticking at all. Anyway, if you, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or you could donate and, uh, and help it keep going. And from the US to Canada, remember, you can use personal checks. You can still use international postal money orders from the post office too. You can send cash or you can use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome. And as I've always said so many times, and it's just, you can't get uh, enough of this really, is to understand the system you're living in. It's a contrived system. And uh, there's a heavy, heavy science running all of this. Everything you think is normal, normalcy. And uh, your education, of course, was doctored for you to be a good citizen and to prepare you as well for the big changes that you would see in your life that you would just simply accept without thinking anything about it. It starts very young nowadays, even at kindergarten, the indoctrination process. And many of the top scientists and experts in the world that ran uh, the world back in the 40s and 50s designed this present time for us. This very present time we're living through today. With everything that's happening, they designed where we'd be culturally across the world at this very time. All the fads, trends, and so on. And it's all coming to pass, as I say. So nothing happens by itself in any major way. It's all planned that way. You're living through a script. And you've got to understand there's a big organization running the world that set up a long time ago to take over the world and use all of its resources. They take it all over themselves, of course, at the top. And they'd also take us as natural resources because we are uh, self-reproducing, basically. And we're very cheap to keep, really, uh, to be honest with you. And they make an awful, awful killing off it all, too. And you're going into what's called a New World Order, a scientifically designed controlled society where they bring down the populations as they go into the next phase of transhumanism down the road too, mind you. They're all talking about that at the top. Hundreds and hundreds of talks going on all over top universities across the planet uh, about this very, very topic. And we're well on the way. The first thing was to do was to destroy cultures across the world. Uh, beginning with the main, the main extreme religions at the time because they helped to reinforce your culture and then go for the culture itself, all the taboos that you had of normalcy and bring a lot of different things in which you accept. And once you've lost all normalcy and you're kind of wandering in the rush 
of things, the changes, then they'd ramp everything ahead so fast that nothing would be normal anymore. And when that's done that way, the big boys who manipulate the planet can come in and train you to believe anything and to behave in any way that they want to suit themselves. Then you can never regroup with a common uh, bond, culture, way of life to fight anything at all. It's all strategy, basically, old strategy been used in the ancient times to the present, only this time, of course, with mass communication that they have at the top and the world society that the leaders have set up, uh, they can bring it in much more efficiently and easily today with all their international meetings. So as I say, go have yourself at cuttingthroughthematics.com and you'll find lots of information on the, the guys who set it up and still run it today. Every country has the same organization running the world. Back with more after these messages. I am Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, and it truly is a matrix. There's so many departments above you and below you, and decide a few and compartments here and compartments there that you think you've arrived eventually, and of course you haven't. You, don't even, you haven't really scratched the surface, because you're surrounded by, with deception, and by deception, because the media, remember, is all licensed, and they all belong to basically the same organization. Again, the Council on Foreign Relations, or Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is really the big boss of the all the CFR is just one branch of theirs, and they, they, they admit themselves that every president and prime minister for a hundred years across the world has been put in by them. doesn't matter what party you vote for. They own the media, and the editors all belong to the clubs. They have their roundtable circles going on all the time across the world, too, working out strategies to do with social changes and social policy changes that we all have to go along with, even though you don't know why you're going along with them or even what they're about. They simply introduce it into schools and education and into all their media, even into their fiction and their novels, by the way, because everything affects your mind. Everything affects your mind and how you think about things or feel about things, as I like to say, because... We are primarily feeling beings. We go by God instincts, which is often conned by by the emotions that are put into your heads through very clever novels or movies. And the big boys know that too. And so the scientific indoctrination uses your own emotions against you so that you'll come to conclusions that are approved by those who own you, your masters. Very old technique. But this article here reminds me of the old Soviet system. A lot of parallels you see between the Soviet system and what we're going through today with the unification of Europe, for instance, and, and there's still the coming unification of the Americas. That's still ongoing. Little bit by little bit, we're integrating. We're sharing all data with the U.S., Mexico, and so on. And, uh, in fact, the U.S. shares the same databases and all the citizens with the, with the Canadian ones on all the Canadians. So they have all the data on everything that we do all the time through the Internet and everything else. But the old Soviet shore trials were really interesting because you had to understand in the Soviet system, you at the top, it's like all these parties that you have. Uh, these parties, even the Freudian party, I was thinking about it too. When you join these parties, these little belief systems, they're based on a very old technique. And the they bring in disciples, actually call them disciples. It's the same with political parties, you see. And you must go along with the top man's uh, word or decree on any topic. Uh, and you take it as gospel truth. 
And that's how it works. If you didn't agree with Eden Freud, too, he'd kick you out. Or even if you ask questions, they simply would open up another venue of thinking about something, he'd kick you out. So true disciples had to bring psychiatry to alter the world, too. And it was a subversion of society. It was a subversion, an intentional one at that, too. But political parties are much the same. They work on the same sort of technique. And when you go against them, you you can go end up in show trials, as it did in the Soviet Union, where true believers would stand uh, after getting tortured, mind you, and, and the box, and they'd, they'd, uh, they'd admit to be doing everything, just like the George Orwell showed you in 1984. Uh, you'd admit to everything, every th- crazy, silly thing. And uh, during the short trials too, for the for the for the film audience, they would simply cut out or censor the parts that they didn't want the public to hear. Nothing's changed. Well, here's going on right now. It says uh, New York, the judge presiding over the Guantanamo Bay Military Commission of 9/11 trial, has approved the government's request to censor any testimony from the defendants relating to their torture. So it's an open trial, right? It's for the public. And it's for us to hear, but they're censoring out anything where the defendants say anything about their torture. The American Civil Liberties Union had challenged the government's request, arguing that the American public has a First Amendment right to hear the testimony. The ACLU plans to seek further review of the ruling, which was released today. Military Judge Colonel uh, James Paul ruled that any statements by the defendants concerning their treatment, including torture while in U.S. custody, could be kept from the public as classified you know, so they don't want you to, they don't want you to tell you who's ruling you, you understand. Because this can be used on you too. This is an upheld and continued use of a 40 second delay audio feed of the proceedings so they can censor anything out in that 40 second delay, you see. That's what they have them for. It says, we're profoundly disappointed by the military judge's decisions which didn't even address the serious First Amendment issues at stake. The government wanted to ensure that the American public would never hear the defendants' accounts of illegal CIA torture, rendition, and detention, and the military judge has gone along with uh, that shameful plan, said Hina Shamsi, director of the ACLU's National Security Program. For now, the most important terrorism trial for time will be organized around judicially approved censorship of the defendants' own thoughts, experiences, and memories of CIA torture. Decision undermines the government's claim that the military commission system is transparent. This is your modern transparency, you understand. They keep, they keep telling you, like, because they're all disciples at the top, and it's all double think and double speak. It's a transparent system, even while they censor what you hear. You understand? This is in its request the government had contended that any statements by the defendants concerning their exposure to the CIA's detention and interrogation programs are classified as sources, methods, and activities of the U.S. and can be withheld from the public. Uh, this is in May the ACLU filed a motion asking the commission to deny the government's request and to bar a delayed audio feed of the proceedings or, in the alternative, promptly release an uncensored transcript. The problem is not so much the audio delay, but the basis for it, said Shamsi. The delay is a tool through which the government unconstitutionally prevents the public from hearing testimony about torture. And a group of 14 press organizations also filed a motion in support of the media's right to access the commission's proceedings. And um, so or, the actual oral arguments were held in, in October, and now it's the actual trial that's going on. So, so there you go. You, you never know. And remember, this will all be used across the world, and you too, down the road, if you're not good. Good, you know. You've got that quality-approved stamp on your forehead. 
that you're now dumbed down and stupid enough to serve the system and, and, and you behave yourself. That's what they mean by good. Very old, nothing changes in the world through these techniques and so on. Nothing changes. And it's the same double speak. They're being transparent as a censor of what you hear. That's what you, that's the sort of thing you would come out, that would come out of the Soviet Union. And it's all here too. Actually, there's a good reason for it because a lot of them who ran the Soviet Union are running all this, actually. As those who followed their history darn well know. And we know too that the big, big corporations that have, it's so strange because they were given the term corporation because they've got the right, same rights as a person, supposedly. Except when it comes to putting them in prison. So you can't put a corporation in prison, or can you? It's a sort of abstract entity in a sense. These are all the legal tricks that they use. But they can get all the rights as a corporation, you see, for themselves. And it's like the bank's been too big to fail. That's what they meant by that as well. Well, if we fail, you see, um, everything will come to a standstill. So they knew darn well they could continue to the, to the cliff edge and we'd still bail them all out. They knew that years before it happened. They had meetings about it. Anyway, here's another one too. It's too big to fail. And it says CBS News has learned that, that BP, British Petroleum, I think it's owned by another company. I think some Americans might own it. It's set to embark Thursday on the fifth day of a little-known sub- subsea mission under the Coast Guard supervision to look for any new oil leaking from the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Remember that that one that they drilled and they couldn't plug it up? It flooded the coastlines of Canada and so on and, and down into the Gulf. It's the BP oil rig exploded in 2010, killing 11 workers, sending a total estimated 206 million gallons of oil gushing into the Gulf of Mexico for three months before it was capped. Since in September, a new oil sheen was spotted about 50 miles off the Louisiana coast, and tests confirmed the oil came from the infamous Macondo well underneath the deep water horizon. BP's underwater vehicle observed oil seeping from the well's containment dome, and after a remote operation declared the leaks plugged on October 23rd, the company in the Coast Guard said it wasn't feasible to clean up the slick and that it didn't pose a risk to the shoreline. And it says... But more oil continues to surface to the present day. Slicks and sheens of varying sizes and shapes have been documented by satellite photos as well as aerial video recorded by non-profit environmental groups, etc. It's suspected that an unknown amount of oil trapped in the containment dome and in the wreckage and equipment from 2010 could be seeping out. And it says... It says that Representative Ed Markey uh, from Massachusetts helped lead the original investigation of BP after Deepwater Horizon exploded. and says, as deja vu, BP is not turning over videos and information requested by Congress. So it's still ongoing. Uh, and it's, it's coming into the coastline, into Louisiana and elsewhere. So this is the sort of thing that goes on and on and on. And if it was you who did something wrong, of course, you'd be in the slammer. But these guys just, you know... Withhold stuff, withhold, withhold, and withhold, and and then they get a fine, which they can easily afford. It's so simple, isn't it? Now, what's interesting too across the world, those who run, who think they're running government, they, they know they're not running the government. It's an actual fact. As I said before, all the top people are members of Council on Foreign Relations. And you've got Australian branch, a Canadian branch, a New Zealand branch of all the same organization and international affairs and so on. It's all the same organization that runs it all from London, but they have their own headquarters in each country. And there's other entities involved as well that have um, their own special interests, even other countries that have their own special interests involved in different governments. Remember, that's an ongoing thing. 
But in Australia, Julia Gillard uh, couldn't get her party to vote against Palestine, asking for some recognition uh, at the United Nations. She couldn't get them to do it. And it says here uh, that uh, the claim this week by Labour MP Michael Danby that Michael, Minister for Foreign Affairs Bob Carr undermined Prime Minister Julia Gillard's authority on a crucial United Nations vote has serious implications for, for the government and its foreign policy, writes Julie Bishop. And it says that the first and most obvious impact is the authority of the Prime Minister. During the final parliamentary sitting for the week of 2012, it was reported that Julie Gillard had sought to exercise her Prime Ministerial authority on Cabinet to ensure that Australia voted against the United Nations motion on the status of the Palestinian territories because she was under pressure by special interest groups. But I'll continue on this one when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And it's an article I'm reading from Australia. It's interesting in three, three or four different ways, actually. But it says, it's by Julie Bishop. Now, Julie Bishop is up there in an opposition party in the Australian Parliament. But she's writing for the Jewish Wire News. And she's criticising Julia Gillard for not having uh, total control over her, 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 her party to vote against the Palestinians getting some recognition. So it's a compromise. There's, governments are compromised with special interest groups. That's the problem here. And, and so, so, so she's criticizing her and so on. And she says, um, the reports also claim that a majority of her cabinet colleagues did not support her stance because it would have a negative impact on support for the Labour Party amongst Muslim communities in Western Sydney. There's no mention of that, the ordinary uh, you know, uh, Australians at all. It says, this is a hollow argument as Labour ministers are well aware of the coalition's long-standing position of voting against uh, that UN motion and there would be no basis for assuming support would be transferred to the coalition. According to Michael Danby, Bob Carr ran an extraordinary lobbying campaign in opposition to the Prime Minister and was successful in garnering sufficient support to roll her in Cabinet. While Ms. Gillard sought to impose her authority on Cabinet, Bob Carr ran a guerrilla campaign among the backbench and got his way in the caucus. This represents a fateful moment in Angela Gillard's Prime Ministership and may well be the crucial turning point from which she cannot recover. A Prime Minister without authority cannot function in that office for very long. Bob Carr's actions have set a precedent for other Cabinet Ministers who will now be aware that they can gather the numbers against the Prime Minister with impunity. The depth of the collapse in her authority is revealed by the fact she had not even reprimanded, let alone asked for Bob Carr's resignation or sacked him. So in other words, to be in a party, she's claiming, you've got to do what the boss says. Now, supposedly under this elastic democracy farce that we're given, you elect a person who's going to represent your area. But as soon as they're in Parliament, of course, they say, oh, I can't, I can't help you people. I have to vote with the party line. They always tell you that in every country. So she's complaining that, that Gillard didn't have enough authority with her party, these little trained seals, to clap for her and go along and vote against Palestine. And she's writing in, 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 a, in the Jewish Wire newspaper here. And she's in government herself, this, guy who, this woman who's reporting it, <laughs> because they didn't get what they wanted. So all governments are compromised, you understand. And I don't think there's anything you can do about it today. It's too far gone. And also this one here, 
I've mentioned so many times, getting back to the first article too, not the first article, but the one to do with uh, the torture of the people at Guantanamo Bay and the censorship. Just to mention, as I say, you only see the same thing in this world coalition, as they bring in this, this world coalition that some people have dreamed of for hundreds, maybe thousands of years of dominating the world. And eventually it'll be your turn to be tortured and all the rest of it. And, and they'll have you on your local TVs admitting to all the crazy things that you never did. But if you try to say that I was tortured to say this, well, God help you then. You know, actually if you say God help you, you might get punished for that too. Now, and I'm not kidding that. It's going to happen all over the place. This is the new democracy. It keeps changing, you see, the terms because there's no such thing as democracy. And they go ahead too now with the end of life, uh, suicide uh, and and end of life and, and of course doctor assisted suicide. They're trying to change the terminology of it all so it sounds more hygienic because they bump off people who are, are no mu- more used to the system. Uh, they're taking their pensions which they paid in all their lives and the government could use that cash for, you know, sending across the world to third world countries where they sink you into their international corporations, you know. This is an end-of-life expert, you don't have experts in killing, has told the High Court that he does not see major moral or practical distinctions between technical ways of administrating death. There's no problems with it, technical ways, such as assisted suicide, which they call AS, <laughs> and voluntary active euthanasia. Isn't that a better term, voluntary active euthanasia? Yeah. Professor Rob George is one of two witnesses called by the state, by again, your big brother state, to give evidence in a landmark challenge to the criminal ban on assisted suicide by multiple sclerosis, sufferer Marie Fleming. And she's under cross-examination by Senior Counsel Ronan Murphy. For Mrs. Fleming, the palliative care specialist says that Dutch, Dutch doctors prefer to perform voluntary euthanasia because an estimated one in four assisted suicides fail and doctors then have to intervene and actually try and make them live. Eh? Oh, it's a terrible thing for a doctor to do these days, isn't it, to try to make a person live, you know. And this is, here's a technique they've been using for many years because it's a world society. And what they'll say is, well, so-and-so's doing it in this country, but so we can do it here, you know. Well, in China, they're killing prisoners for their, for their organs. They've got their DNA, you know, the whole, so when some high, high flutin, high, high character wants a kidney or a liver, they just bump them off and do a good match. So should we do that too? Because that will come, by the way, if it's not happening already. I, I often wonder about that, you know. Well, you know, people in the business of transplantation, they'll tell about all the different spates of things that they have, like sudden spates of cars that knock down folk in places like San Francisco and elsewhere um, and, and never stop. But uh, it's always young people that get bumped off and immediately they're stripped of all their organs and then it's somewhere else this kind of thing happens. I often wonder about it. I think it's going on myself. Anyway... So, so we're back to euthanasia and assisted suicide. So it's legal in Dutch law. In fact, if the doctors in Holland refuse to kill someone, you see, then the state come round in a van. The state people who will do it and kill you instead. So we should do the same thing, shouldn't we? Because the government needs that money, that pension money, that you're using to try and stay alive, buying all the expensive pills. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and giving you an example with this article here on suicide and assisted suicide and so on, of the techniques of persuasion that are used on the general public with articles like this. It's very clever, actually, the way they spin it. And they take you along a path to get you agreeing with them, and then they, they try and swing you along to another path, so you're all for it, actually. It's so clever. Now, now people have always killed themselves down through history. Down through history, people have always killed themselves. And people who are dying of awful diseases, there's, there's nothing nothing unusual, believe you me, of people helping those uh, exit the planet, and it's really bad, especially if they're in home care and so on. That was always something that, that, was, that was done. When you give the power to the state, that's what they're after. The state's after power to kill people. I hope you get that through your heads. Because that's what all this is about. Forget the emotion when they pick a victim who's suffering and try to get your emotions involved. So you go, oh yeah, she should be the state. No, the state should stay clear of this stuff, folks. You cannot have the state with the power to kill people in their own countries. They're doing enough of a job killing folk in other countries as it is. And this whole new world world order is based on good world citizenship. And the definition of the United Nations of a good world citizen is a good producer and consumer. When you retire or you get sick, you now become a consumer. You're the burden on society. And you, or even if you just simply retire and you're taking your pension, that money could be used better by the government on other projects. This is all about and you can't give that right to government to categorize you and, and tick you off the little tick chart for non-resuscitation because, well, you know, what's your, what is your value to society? What is your standing in your community? Do we need them or not? You see, you can't give this. So here's the tricks that they use here. It says, everybody's required to do as much as they can to restrain people who want to commit suicide, he says. Said Professor George, who added that enormous weight should be given to the patient's view of their own value of their life. Now, people who are going through a psychotic depression, which doesn't last forever, mind you, will often want to kill themselves right there and then. Once they're over it with treatments, uh, no, they don't think about killing themselves. So he goes on to say, I take it the patient's view extremely seriously, said Professor George. He said people freely act in ways to harm their health. Now, here's the go. Here's, here's the technique by association, you see, of other things that we're, that we're not even talking about, such as smoking, drinking, and refusing treatment. You could also say the same with people who engage in certain kinds of sex who end up getting HIV. You'd add a whole list of this stuff, right? But, but they won't say that. No, smoking, drinking, and refusing treatment, you see. You can see the same key with race, race car drivers or mountain climbers or people who love to ski down long, very steep hills and, and mountains. But they won't say that either, you see. Anyway, Ms. Fleming, 58, who is in the final stages of MS, is challenging the constitutionality of Ireland's ban on assisted suicide. See, you can't fall for, and it is terrible when it happens to a person here or there, but these characters grab them, someone who is willing to, willing to have the state kill them, and try to use them as a poster child for, for the big agenda. And see, the governments should never be given this kind of power to do so. They're already taking it, by the way, when you end up in the hospital in a lot of countries now. They're already taking that power regardless. And just, going, just letting you die, starving you to death, and, and, and no, no water, no food. Lying in waste and, and letting you die. But they want, see, they understand that they're so legal in the system, they want your permission 
They want your permission, you see. Okay, but we'll kill you then. They can give you a long talk as to, oh, you've got terrible misery ahead. Oh, my God, yes, do you really want to live? You know, I mean, they're awfully good at it. I always think back to the Meaning of Life by Monty Python crew uh, when they start off at a knock on the door and the two guys are standing there asking for the husband because they want his liver. He'd signed on to a liver, uh, did not his liver. Well, he was still alive, but they came in to get it anyway. And then they go through a little routine of trying to convince the wife to get her liver too. It's a real comic thing, but they actually go through the technique right there, where they where they bring the person down uh, to to. Well, you're you're so small and tiny in this big universe. I mean, are you, are you really that so important? And the, the woman says, "Well, no." And can we have your liver? No. Okay, then that was it. They show you in comedy what actually happens with the chronology of these characters who are running your brains for you. You're not running your own brain most of the time. Now, Cameron is to support plans for Eurozone superstate. Well, it was always going to, it was designed to go this way, superstate. So is the Americas when they unite that too. And they'll do that more and more with bank crashes to come and things like that. And oh, they've already said it in fact. We can't go on as independent countries. My God. We've got to amalgamate, you see. Just like amalgamating corporations, isn't it? That's how they see it. So David Cameron is preparing to fight to back the first detailed roadmap to a European superstate with centralized powers over tax and public spending. Exactly what Ron Poy and others said that they did take it two years ago. So it says um, that the Prime Minister will travel to Brussels for a summit with European leaders on Thursday to discuss a proposed two-year timetable to political union in which countries lose the right to set their own budgets. I said that would happen years ago. And here it is, because that was always agenda, you understand. They do away with nations, then you do away with their sovereignty, and all your parliament becomes is a bunch of civil servants obeying the super states, just like a, a little satellite of the Soviet Union in the Warsaw Pact countries. Same idea. But he postponed a landmark speech telling you how, out how he will give voters a say over the future of Britain's relationship with the EU until next year. And Cameron said to have been considering announcing his policy on a possible referendum next week. And last week, Boris Johnson, Mayor of London, a potential leadership rival to the Prime Minister, warned the coalition's policies of encouraging ever closer economic links between Eurozone countries as morally wrong. Well, he'll have to say that. They'll play these games and they jump sides and jump ship all the time to get the top. Anyway, Johnson demanded the Prime Minister call a referendum on whether Britain should remain part of a new pared-down European Union focused on trade through the single market. However, the Prime Minister is understood to be prepared to defy Johnson and indicate he will not obstruct moves towards political and economic union amongst the 17 countries in the Euro. Now, the European Union and the whole commission that runs it is not democratic by any means whatsoever. It wasn't designed to be democratic whatsoever. The parliamentarians can go and have their lovely little shows they put on for the camera as they lambast each other, but they cannot make a law and they can't change a law. It all comes from the commission at the top, the shadowy bunch at the top of unelected people. And, uh, and then they put little, little, little pen pushers like Rompoy and Nobody knows anything about Rompoy, his past at all, who was placed in there as the president of the European Council. And he chairs the summit and so on. And, and it says they will table the plan for the complete economic and monetary union. So that's it, folks. You see, end of all the, the nation states. An old, old plan. Old, old plan. And... Um, it gives, it gives uh, certain peoples the right to rule over all the rest. All the rest, because uh, it makes them feel safer that way.
I'll just put this article up tonight too. And also, the Eurozone bank deal, the group edges towards union. Uh, this is uh, also in the paper from the BBC. And uh, in the middle of the night, Europeans' finance minister took another major step towards closer integration and agreed to set up a single supervisor for the Eurozone's banks. Now, I've mentioned this before, going through the history of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private organization, by the way, made up by international bankers of their day when they set it up in the days of Cecil Rhodes and Lord Milner. And they actually co-joined together to, to create this, in fact. And they said they'd take the world over, own all of its resources, they'd run all the banks, and then they'd set up central private banking systems running all the countries. They set up treaties with other nations to bring them into groups, just like Karl Marx said, along before them, in fact, because we're all working on the same strategy. And they'd have these massive trading blocks, and then they'd integrate the trading blocks, and the central banks would be under the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, another private bank group. So, so it's all here. It's all here, folks. You're living through a long-term script, you see. So it says, from 2014, the European Central Bank will be directly supervising around 200 of the largest banks, but will have the right to intervene if smaller lenders are in trouble, meaning they'll bail them out with the taxpayers' money as they've been doing all along. And the ECB will have sweeping new powers, and ultimately it will allow the EU's main rescue fund. This, this is a term that's going to be forever, understand. This is, the, this is, the, this is what they plan. It was a plan before they created the whole EU. They'll get every country supposedly bailing out every other country. We're all in it together now. We're chained together. One goes down, we all go down. All that nonsense. And they'll keep it going forever. It's to plunder the public, abolish the middle classes, except certain ones, and and then to, to rule you like the Soviet Stalin Union, basically. That's how it is. That's how it's to be done. And also this one here, it says, uh, Europe deepens the union with ECB as chief bank watchdog. And that's from Reuters itself, too, talking about the same kind of thing. Quite interesting, eh? how they can how they can do it. Good, an interesting article, too, because we're in the new Dixonian era, you understand. The old, the old society was destroyed by design. And the so-called Christian charity that... Uh, that uh, uh, Dickens was on about uh, is gone. In fact, Christianity was a main enemy of, of all of this and had to be destroyed by those who don't like it very much. And part of that too was doing with Sundays for, for people, even people who were culturally Christian, even if they don't go to, go to churches. That was a family time. It was only family time left, but the family had to be destroyed, you understand, too. So you ended up with working Sundays too. Well, Australian miners are told that death is now the only excuse for not working on Christmas, you see. I'm not kidding you, this is no joke. Miners who don't show up for work the Christmas and New Year period at Sandfire Resources, Degrusa Copper and Gold Mine in Western Australia are being threatened with major fines and pay cuts, reports the West. It says, according to the memo distributed to Australian contacts, a contract mining staff and employees, only acceptable use not to turn up was death which must be accompanied with a coroner's report to confirm it. But we've really evolved eh, in society. And this is the document signed by the ACM site manager and posted on site said fly in, fly out workers would be fined flights and accommodation costs and risk being put on a lower pay grade if they failed to show up for work. That's his primary uh, preliminary findings from Murdoch University study released yesterday. Found many FIFO workers did not believe their employers cared about their well-being. Well, that's true, and did not feel valued. Last month, a study led by Australia's Griffith University showed 
Shift uh, miners working long hours are more likely to suffer from depression, fatigue and wide range of illnesses. While they've known that for years and years and years, even your so-called day-glow bulbs were invented not for NASA. That was a complete con. Uh, it was invented for miners because they had, to, they had the worst problems across Europe when they had mines before they destroyed all them too and put them out of business to get rid of the unions. And an article here is put out uh, by Press TV, and it says an Iranian, an Iranian lawmaker says the European Union is not qualified to be the symbol of human rights as the bloc, and they call it the bloc, just like the Soviet bloc, has repeatedly turned a blind eye to the genocide of people in the world. And they're actually supporting the genocide of people in the world, actually, the EU. The European Union, with its political conduct, has jeopardized global peace, and that's true. Uh, therefore, considered, considering its support for the crimes of Zionists and its silence over the massacre of innocent people, is absolutely not qualified for such an issue, Ivaz uh, Hidarpur said on Thursday. The lawmaker was alluding to a recent grant of the Nobel Peace Prize to the European Union. He further noted that Nobel Peace Prize is a political trophy which is awarded to people who act in line with the interests of global arrogance. And, and that is true. Look at the, Just go back at the history of who's got it. Hidarpur pointed out that awarding the Nobel Peace Prize on mere political grounds to people such as the former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and the US President Barack Obama, who's at war all over the world, worse actually than Bush, indicates that the prize has nothing to do with real peace, but is concerned with serving the interests of the world powers. Earlier this week, the European Union received the year's Nobel Peace Prize in the Norwegian capital of Oslo for helping a continent of war to become a continent of peace as they take it down the tubes into poverty. I added the last part, which is true. The EU Commission President Jose Manuel Barroso, EU Council President Herman von Rompuy, and President of the EU Parliament Martin Schulz, Martin Schulz, by the way, has got special interests in other countries, collected the award during a ceremony at Oslo's City Hall. This is the image which European politicians have presented of themselves as strong advocates of human rights, freedom, and democracy does not deceive anyone anymore. And holding protests against this move shows that even the people of Europe do not value such prizes, the Iranian lawmaker added. And it says Nobel Committee's decision has sparked public protests and drawn a barrage of criticism from peace activists and former winners of the prize. Three Peace Prize laureates have also said the 27-nation bloc contradicts the values associated with the prize because it relies on military force to, to ensure security. And so it goes on and on. So in a way, it's true, you know, we're living in this, well, it's a farce, isn't it? It's, it's a farce. It's a farce. If you speak out, it can be dangerous to speak out and point out. Like the boy, the, the said, you know, the king has no clothes. Everybody else has gone along. Oh, they're really beautiful, you know. And uh, he says, what are they talking about? He's got nothing on. And, and if you say that these days and point out what is, you, you're, it's, not, it's not too healthy, folks. That's your new democracy. It's completely intolerant, you understand. Completely intolerant. Tonight, I'll, too, I'll put up that article, a bunch of articles on, I keep forgetting to do it because it's really kind of irrelevant. It's a toned down, censored version of given the public of the, the US military's, uh, uh, what they see the predictions up to the year 2030 or so, uh, as opposed to the one that came out initially and caused such controversy. And that was the, the, the one that came out in 2008. It went much, much further to do with the coming internal strife, interceding uh, problems and so on.
and nations across Europe and even Americas where governments would use even miniature neutron bombs, for God's sake, on massive flash mobs as people went down the tube starving and fighting and all the rest of it. I mean, that was the first one that came out. So this, this, this one that came out with kind of tones it down an awful lot. And, of course, they'll have one for the public and one for themselves. That'll be completely different. But I'll put it up anyway for those who want to have a, a little look through it. And... Germany, of course, went through that thing with circumcision a while back to, to try and make it legal. It says Germany now approves the bill to keep circumcision legal, and the law was passed with four in three four votes to a hundred votes, and it grants parents the right to authorize the circumcision of their sons by a trained practitioner. So, uh, nothing much changes anywhere really. Uh, and I, I hate even reading these articles because it's all over in the media. It's been over the media for years about TV spying on people in the black boxes, spying on people and stuff like that. But I'll put the one on Samsung Smart TVs could allow remote spying for everybody that cares because nobody, I don't think most folk care today, to be honest with you. They're so trained already, it's all right. They don't mind having no privacy. Remember what they found out two years ago when they were studying uh, putting cameras up to see how the public would react. And they did all kinds of experiments. And what they did is put them up initially in old folks' residences where they live in these streets with all old people and and so on. And they found if the cameras weren't obtrusive, that's the whole key, if they weren't obtrusive and didn't appear prominent in the house, the people eventually ignored them. And that's what they do with you. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan What we're cutting through the matrix and nothing really changes, eh? Deception goes on all the time. US commandos new landlord in Afghanistan is Blackwater. Remember Blackwater, the, the private armies. It says US Special Operations Forces have a brand new home in Afghanistan. It's owned and operated by the security company formerly known as Blackwater thanks to a no-bid deal worth $22 million. You might think that Blackwater, now called Academy, was banished into some bureaucratic exile after its operations in Afghanistan, and they stole guns from U.S. weapons depots and killed Afghan citizens. With links for all of this, too, by the way, they actually did steal U.S. weapons depots. Uh, I cleaned them out. It says, Academy's private 10-acre compound outside Kabul called Camp Integrity. This is wonderful, isn't it? You've got Academy and Integrity. We're like Academies. We're like Integrity. Sounds good. Uh, you use these terms very carefully, you see. It's a new headquarters for perhaps the most important special operations unit in Afghanistan. Uh, that would be the Special Operations Joint Task Force Afghanistan, created July the 1st to unite and oversee the three major special operations tribes throughout Afghanistan, which compra- commands some 7,000 elite troops in all. It's run by Major uh, Army Major General Raymond Tony Thomas, former uh, Deputy Commander of the Joint Special Operations Command, and is already tasked with reforming how those elite forces train Afghan villagers to fight the Taliban. And its role is only going to grow in Afghanistan as regular U.S. forces withdraw by 2014. Actually, they're getting moved right down back into Iraq at the moment and elsewhere near Turkey. As the commandos take over the residual task of fighting Al-Qaeda, you know, Al-Qaeda that now we're trying to get into Syria and and so on, who are our ally apparently there. It's confusing, eh? Perhaps that's why the Academy's no-bids contract runs through to May 2015. 
Academy spokeswoman Kelly Gannon declined to comment on the story, but it's highly unusual for U.S. military forces to take up official residence in a privately owned facility, according to Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bryant, the spokesman for Special Operations Joint Task Force Afghanistan. It's only supposed to be temporary, as the command plans to move to Bagram Airfield by summer of 2013, but Camp Integrity is already shaping up to be a crucial location for Afghanistan war that's rapidly changing. Uh, Peter Singer, a scholar at the Brookings Institution, who's closely studied the private security industry, finds Special Ops Private HQ unsurprising. We've seen these kinds of close intertwined relationships in the field between the public and private forces before. He says, the U.S. military and the CIA reportedly have hired these companies to do everything from building bases, running the facilities and logistics, to serving as a guard force in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Actually, I mean, of course these relationships are not new. I mean, we, we run that, well, we don't run them. But the CIA set up Al-Qaeda. It was a loose assortment of people who fight the Russians when they were in Afghanistan. And then they kept them going because you never throw away a good asset. And now you're using them across the Middle East to take down one country after another, you see. So, yeah, that, that's what your countries are, are doing. And... um because you don't have countries, Lee. You, don't, you certainly have not. The people who run them have nothing in common with you. Nothing at all in common with you. Nothing. Zilch. So I'll put up this link tonight too. And also Walmart, a video. Uh, it starts off because I've killed off another shoplifter. They're shooting them now <laughs> in the States. Anyway, uh, I think it's the second one I've done recently. But it goes on to Walmart's bigger, their bigger agenda. They're, they've now got a big association of top corporations that now are advising governments on policy and international policies too democracy is wonderful isn't it democracy isn't it your vote counts you know from Hamish myself from Ontario Canada it's good night to me your god or your gods go with you <laughs>